0: We are starting a new series today, so recently we've been journeying as a church through prayer. So initially we looked at our prayers as an individual and just recently we've been looking at our prayers as a church. What it means when as a church we are on our knees in prayer, seeing His presence, His power, His purpose and one other that I can't remember right now, achieved through prayer together as a church and we have finished that series and we're starting a new one today but that's not a disclaimer that doesn't mean stop praying it means pray more fervently with a greater understanding that we now have journeyed together as to what prayer means as a church family and we are starting a new series where we're looking at love and the the fact that love is a verb it's a doing word, it's an action word, it's something that requires a response from us rather than just some words. First John 3 verse 18, which is our reference scripture, says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident When we stand before God. But let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show truth by our actions. Love requires an action. If we, knowing that we have been called to bring Jesus to the world, the world that we walk in every single day, the places where we have been placed, our response is to bring an action of love into everything that we do and to show God and Christ through that. Now if I was to spend 10 minutes with you after the service, talking to you about how much I love you, I could tell you repeatedly, I could tell you over and over again, but if I walked out of here, found your car in the car park and slashed all four of your tires, I know that's extreme, but one of those things is a greater action to the demonstration of love than the other. Our words are merely words, but it's our actions that show love in our response to what we need to do. I love this scripture in John 13, verse 35, actually 34. And we might use this one a little bit today. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, So now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I I find this quite a confronting verse to read. Because we know the Ten Commandments, we've got those down pat. They're, they're great rules to live by in our life. We, we understand the value of them. But Jesus, our Lord and our Master, gives us a fresh instruction and says, I want to add one more to that. Love others as I have loved you, love them. One more commandment, the 11th commandment. And why I find this confronting is because it, it doesn't say, oh, I want to give you another suggestion. Or if you 're feeling good in the morning that you you know wake up in the morning you have a coffee you 're feeling good here's here 's one way you can add some value to the world that you walk in that day well here 's just something if you 're feeling like it or you 've got a bit more time in your schedule, maybe just add this number eleven onto the end now he says this is the new commandment that I give to you: love people, not just love by our words, not just love by our messages, our preaching, having the right hashtags on our Instagram posts or whatever it might be, but love people by your actions. And it is by this that you will prove that you are one of my disciples. Not by our attendance in church, not by the sticker on the back of our car, not by what our Facebook profile says under religious or not. It says by our love for one another, you will prove To the world, the world that so needs to know me, so needs to know hope, so needs to find love. You will, they will find that by looking at you and seeing how you treat other people. Now we may have a get out of jail free card here. We 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 may we may have a way to make this a little bit easier for us because my my favorite topic at the moment is well is to understand what is really being said behind a passage of Scripture. And, and like I feel that I repeat every time I'm sharing a message here, we, we have to remember that the Bible is not written in English. And sometimes English doesn't do justice to the way that it was originally written. And whenever you find the word love in the New Testament, this is a great example because there are four different Greek words and definition for the one word that we translate into English for love. So anytime when we're looking through the New Testament and we see the word love, th- there can be one of four different options, four different types of love that it can mean when we read this. So we, we may have a get out of jail free card for this. Because we don't know. We, we see the word love there, but it, it could be four different options that might change the way that we function in our life in the world. The first love that is very popular, the Greek word, and uh, forgive, please forgive me if you speak Greek with my pronunciations because I read them, I don't hear them. And uh, the, the first one is agape or agape, however you prefer to say it. It's the first type of love and it's what we would call unconditional love. It's the love of God to man and of man to God. It's a love that doesn't require any condition doesn't require a response of love, doesn't require something to benefit the person loving. That, that's why we say unconditional love. It's a love that God has because it's almost that impossible love to continue loving after rejection, after hurt, without receiving anything in return. That's agape love. That's the first love. The second, the second, it's called eros love. And look, on a 9.30 a.m. service on a Sunday morning when there's no kids church on, we're just going to call that intimate love and move on from that. The third type is called filio or filio, and that's that's the love of friendship. One friend to another. I, I think of it like a conditional love, if I like the person, if I enjoy spending time with them, if there's mutual benefit, if there's common interest, if there's, if there's things that we can agree upon, then there is a friendship there and there is a love, and that's in the Greek called philio, or philio. That's the third type of love. And the fourth type of love is a definition of, of a parent's love to a child, and that's called storge love. So they're the four different types, agape, eros, philia, and storge. So whenever we see the word love written in English in the New Testament, we can kind of spin the little chocolate wheel and see which one it lands on, and we might be able to save ourselves here because Jesus is telling us, your love for one another will prove to the world, therefore bring me into the world and show the world and demonstrate who I am to the world. Because your love will show that you are my disciples. Now, which kind of love is it? It could be Agape love. That could be challenging. If it's Eros love, that's incredibly awkward. (laughs) Phileo love, that could be good because that's conditions. That's if, if we feel like it, if the person agrees with us, if we agree with them, if we like spending time with them, if we have common interests, if there's mutual benefit. That could work out really well. Storge love. Well, Jesus said go into the world and make disciples. He didn't say go into the world and find random people and parent them. So it's not going to be that one. So we've got a toss-up, I think, between it being either unconditional love or a love that has conditions. Now, I think it's pretty obvious. Love each other just as I have loved you. Jesus demonstrated unconditional love by his entire life continues to demonstrate it today. It would only make sense, and it does, the Greek word, our love for one another, to prove to each other and to this world is agape love. It's an unconditional love. It's a love that doesn't make any difference to the response received, our desire or or willingness to do it. It's an unconditional love that loves the people that we spend all our time with and walk past in the street every day without any condition. And so because of that we are we are spending some time over the next few weeks looking at love and looking at how Jesus demonstrated love in his life. Ephesians two five two maybe tells us that we you know Jesus loved us and we should look to him as the greatest example for how to love. And so we're going to explore and journey through that in this series over the next few weeks, looking at how Jesus loved the world and therefore how if we can follow his example, we can demonstrate to the world, prove to the world that he's still alive, he's still available, and he's here for them through our lives. And so today we're going to look at how Jesus showed mercy, how he showed mercy as an action of love, when I when I was very very young, I have this distant memory. It's quite faded. I think I would have only been maybe five or six years old, and and um and I was getting babysat by my uncle and my auntie, and I don't know where my parents were doing—probably something really good. And it, it's—I love having my parents in church, but it's really awkward sometimes when I preach because every story is something to do with my childhood or. Or something, and I often have to go up to my mum afterwards and say, are we okay? (laughs) Are we okay? Uh, But we should be okay. Um, So I'm getting babysat by my uncle and my auntie, and uh, I remember the house. I was there, my brother, my eldest cousin, who was the only one that had been born at that stage, and a whole bunch of other kids. I don't know where they come from. I probably just collected them from around the street. And so my uncle and auntie are babysitting, and my uncle was put in charge of us. And so he developed a list, I remember creating this list with him in collaboration with all the kids of all the things that we would not do, all the rules. And I'm pretty sure, knowing my uncle, that it was all kind of geared towards the fact that he was responsible for the state of the house and keeping children alive that day and he was probably trying to work it out so that he didn't have to take much responsibility in that but there was there was a list of things that all about don't mess the house up don't do this don't make a lot of noise just sit down and be quiet and leave me alone and all that kind of stuff and and being the eldest I got the responsibility of coming up with the punishment and the discipline if something was broken and I thought this is fantastic this is a great opportunity to see my brother suffer a little bit more. So I must have come up with a, It was something about he had to sit in front of the toilet door for a certain amount of time. And I must have chosen an excessive amount of time because I distinctly remember my uncle questioning me. Are you sure you want to make it that long? And I was like, yeah, we're going to make it that long. You sure? That's a long time to sit and say, no, we're going to do it. 20 minutes, 20 minutes, let's do it. All right, all right. And we all had to sign this little bit of paper to say that we agree to the punishment if any of the, the laws of the land are broken that day. And it wasn't too much time after that that I spotted my brother running inside through the back door with his shoes on. On to my parents' 1980s-era cork-tiled floor. Anyone else have cork tile floor? No? Yeah? cork tile floor with his shoes on, muddy footprints, and I was like, yes, we got him. <laughs> we got him. The plan worked, and I went bolting in. And I found my uncle, and I'm like, let's do this. 20 minutes, get him in front of the toilet door, sitting down on the cork tiles, which he has messed up, Make him sit on them, stare at the toilet door for 20 minutes. We got him. Come on, high fives. And, and my uncle looked at me and said, you sure? And I'm like, there he is, footprints. He's got his shoes on. Mom's cork, tiled floor. He's gone. 20 minutes. Do it. You sure you want to do that? I do. That's the deal. We signed it. Let's do it. Because you sure? Because you've got your shoes on too. In my haste to see my brother... Brother's demise of 20 minutes staring at the plain toilet door. I chased him in with my shoes on and violated the sanctity of the cork tile floor in our back family room. I broke the law that not only I had agreed with, I had created and signed. And there I was guilty. My brother's back outside climbing trees. I'm sitting in front of the toilet door regretting every decision that I'd made previously but what is it about us as humans that we just love to see that the demise of someone or the punishment of someone and don't don't try and pretend that it's just me but the 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 breaking of law and wanting to bring justice to it and and uphold the the rules that have been broken and see something inflicted upon someone and and, and join a debate or fight an argument or something for the sake of it. What, what is it about us that makes us want to do that and pick on my little brother, who at that point in his life had done nothing wrong? It was after that when he got a bit older and started to annoy me more, but, but, but it's all good. What is it about us that there's just something in us that wants to fight even take a fight on for someone else when it's got nothing to do with us. We see a, a post go up on Facebook and and, and I, I, I have Facebook now for the one purpose of stalking all of you. I don't post anything on it. I just like to jump on there every now and then and see what everyone else is doing. And uh, I don't post anything because I just got so tired of putting things up there that people just wanted to argue about and get into a great discussion and 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 just, I think, what what is this fight about? Why are we arguing about this? Why are we even worried about running our shoes in on the cork-tiled floor about laws and rules that don't even make sense and and getting into an argument and simply doing it just to see somebody else pushed a little bit lower than we are or hurt or injured. And the whole time when I think back to this story, I think, Here I am, standing in my muddy shoes on the cork tile floor, fighting about a rule that made no sense or anything. In the whole time, my little brother is standing there, just looking at the way his older brother is treating him. Looking at me as the biggest hypocrite in the room with my muddy shoes on. And the whole time that I'm wanting to argue a, a silly. Rule and try and bring justice and discipline to my brother. He, he's just sitting there as a hurt little boy, upset. And there's so much that we see in the way that Jesus responds to people and how he shows mercy. And, and when we think about Jesus showing mercy, we have to head towards John chapter 8, where the woman who was caught in adultery came, was brought to him we might just read that account a little bit. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Let's, let's stop there for a second. Have you ever noticed that that... Well, think about this. Jesus, is it says, he's come from the Mount of Olives and he's what? He's teaching the crowd that has gathered. What is he going to be teaching them? He's going to be teaching them about the kingdom of God. He's going to be teaching them about love. He's going to be teaching them about the scripture that we had up earlier. That the greatest commandment is to love God but to love others. Here's the new commandment that you have. Go and show the world love. He's teaching these and suddenly he's interrupted For an argument. Have you ever noticed that an argument over something like this so often interrupts the message of love that Jesus would have been teaching at that time? And he's interrupted by the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law to argue about a law and about a rule and about discipline. The other thing that I want us to remember as we read through this. It says that the woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now listen, let's not, I'm not being silly, but let's not think about it too much. But I don't think that people who were dragging her out to the temple stood there and said, We're just going to give you a couple of minutes to make yourself decent before we take you out in the public place. It says she was caught in the act of adultery taken from that place to the temple where the crowds were in the centre of the city and dumped on the ground and then they turned away from her and tried to trap Jesus that we're about to read about let's not forget those two things the message of love was interrupted and there was a broken woman on the ground the whole time that this was happening they said teacher This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They knew the answer. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. The message of love was interrupted by the Pharisees and the religious people wanting to argue over punishment and discipline of a woman who was lying extremely unclothed and broken in a public place. Now, did she do something wrong? She did. But their attempt at entrapment was not about the woman who was broken and needed mercy and love it was about trying to trap jesus so they could get him the word for 2000 years now there has been great speculation about what is it that jesus wrote in the dirt what did he stoop down and and write with his finger that caused such a response from these people that they had to walk away and no one, no one really knows. Did, did they? Did he write down the names of accusers? Did he write down something to expose them? Did he remind them of something? Did he, did he just write hashtag love is a verb or whatever he wrote on the ground? No one knows. But the one hint that we have is is the word that he is used to describe his teaching is the Greek word grapho, g-r-a-f-o, and it's a little bit different to just drawing or writing that word actually means to reference the sacred scriptures so the greatest hint that we have is and we still don't know any definitive answer but he he was doing something that referenced the 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 scriptures in the dirt and that's what triggered the pharisees and the religious people to change their view now i think back to my story with, with my uncle And I bring that back in now because the best theory that I can subscribe to is that in referencing the Old Testament, the sacred scripture, he was probably writing down the law that had been broken. Because the tradition of the day was when someone had been accused or caught, they would be brought to the temple and the priest would need to write down the law that had been broken but he was to do it not in a way that was permanent but in a way that it could be erased when the punishment had been handed out so often the priest in the temple would write on the floor or the dirt where the where the dust was and he would write the law from the old testament that had been broken so everyone could see and then the punishment and then it would be erased so Jesus seems to be doing this because uh, it says that he references the sacred text. So he must be writing a law down. And, and in Deuteronomy 25, it would actually be the law that she's broken. where It says when a man or a woman have been caught in adultery, they are to be put to death. So why did they walk away? Well, I think he showed them that they had run into the house with their shoes on on the cork tiled floor because in Deuteronomy it says when the, a man or a woman a man and a woman has been caught in adultery they must be put to death not she they so by stooping down in the dirt and just perhaps Adam's theory referencing the law that had been broken In their plea for punishment over mercy of a broken woman and a demonstration of love, he showed them, you're standing on the tile floor with your shoes on. You've done the wrong thing. In your haste to entrap me, you haven't followed the law either. You've broken the law. So how about... Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone because he just wrote the law that they broke on the ground, not only the law that she broke because their intention was justice and punishment, entrapment, and no thought to the woman who I'm sure was regretful, remorseful and at the very least highly embarrassed about being taken in to the public place after being caught in the act of adultery. And that is why Jesus in showing mercy ignores the argument of who was right and who was wrong or what must be done and focuses on the woman who is broken does he condone what she's doing? No. He says to her, go and sin no more, indicating she had sinned. She had broken the law. And even Christ, the Son of God, who has every right to make judgment on her in that very place, says to her, there are no accusers here anymore. Go and sin no more go and sin no more Jesus showed mercy by an act of love that cared about the person not about the argument cared about the broken world and not about who was right and who was wrong yes yes there was a sin committed and a law broken. But there is one day in all of eternity set aside for judgment. It wasn't that day. It's not today. And let's hope it's not tomorrow because tomorrow is a public holiday. <laughs> but there is one side, one day, In all of eternity, think about this, that's set aside for judgment. If anybody could judge, surely it was Jesus Christ. But he knew it wasn't that day. There will come a time. And the other reality is, I'm also pretty confident that none of us are going to be sitting on the throne that day. Our job as Christians is to show love To the world through action, not through words. Through unconditional love that cares for the person broken on the ground or the little boy standing with muddy shoes on the cork tile floor more than the rules and the arguments of who is right and who is wrong. The thing that scares me most or challenges me most rather is whenever you see the word Pharisees and religious teachers in the New Testament, you can just call that church people. That's who they were, the religious people of the day, the church people. Our number one responsibility is to love God. Our second is to love others. We do that through action, through showing mercy. And so we have a a challenge as we do every week and this one's a little bit different. Because I struggled with this message in a lot of ways. I struggled with it because I find in myself it's impossible for me to show mercy. I think agape love, unconditional love, is, is, is something we as humans hope to strive for or try to strive for, but it just, we can't get there. The only way that we can get there, is by looking at Jesus, and following his example, and his guide, because if we rely upon our broken heart, we don't get this. We get the church people, the religious people of the day, who get a little bit, focused on, what's right and wrong, and not, On the person. So, the challenge this week is a little bit different. And it's about action. And it's about knowing that when we walk out of these doors and into the world that we walk in every single day, the people are looking at us, whether they realize it intentionally or not, and they're looking for Jesus, they're looking for an act of mercy. So, when we walk out this week and introduce ourselves, we can introduce ourselves a little bit different this week. (laughs) And this is my personal goal and my personal challenge that I'm sharing with you this week. That our love for one another would prove that we are disciples, that people would look at us and go, you look like Adam, but you kind of sound like Jesus. You look like you should be a human, but you're kind of acting more like Jesus. You look like we should be arguing points and discussions, but you seem to be more concerned about people. And this week, as as we go as a church family, as North Lakes, my prayer and our challenge is that it would almost be like we are introducing ourselves as Jesus everywhere we go. When you walk into work on Tuesday, unless you're in retail or health, that it's almost like you've got a different name tag on to who you belong to. That when you update your Facebook status, it feels a little bit different. Like maybe your profile name has changed to Jesus. And that everywhere we walk, before we even get the chance to tell people our names, our name tag, our actions, our life, the things that we do, tell us who we belong to and who they can find hope in before We even have to open our mouth and use words. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that there is no greater example of love than what you have already demonstrated to us, and that you have given us the opportunity even thousands of years later to learn and to hear from you through the words of the Bible. Lord, as we look at this series and we study your life and see the actions that we need to take as followers of you, Lord, I pray that it would speak to our heart. But not only that, that our minds would be renewed in how you would have us walk and how you would have us live in this world, that our life would be full of actions of love for others, not judgment, not argument, not condoning of the things that you don't want for our best life but people who would just love, show mercy and show you to the world in which we live. Lord, this week I pray that our challenge truly becomes a challenge, that each and every day our our hearts and our minds are reminded to demonstrate you through love. Lord, in the times that we're tempted to not, in the times that we rely upon our heart, Or the parts of our mind that have not been renewed, Lord, I would pray that you drop a thought, a reminder in, that we carry your name where we go. We introduce you to the world. We show a light where there needs to be hope. Lord, bless us as we go. Empower us this week to walk in your ways. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.